First Corinthians chapter number two. Thank you, Miss Chris. Miss Chris and her husband Donnie, the Bryants, um, have been here for a number of years. And how many years, Miss Chris? Since '83. Since '83, and uh, uh, it's they've invested their lives in many different aspects of the church. And one great area in which we're so thankful for is the the lives of the young people. And so King's Kids, seven o'clock on Wednesday nights, and uh, we have a great ministry for the children, and uh, so love for your kids to come if they're not here uh, already, and bring them, and, and uh, you will certainly enjoy that. And for the adults, we're, we started a series last Wednesday night on heaven, uh, letting us walk through the pages of the Bible. There's a lot that people know about heaven, they think they know based upon movies, but it would help you if you base it upon what God says, and and he's the one who's been there, and he's the one who's going to, only one who can get us there. And so let's look and see what God has to say as we look through the, uh, the pages of the Bible on heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, as we're turning there, we'll dismiss our children for our children's ministry this morning. And uh, children heading towards the back of the auditorium, going back that way. There we go. Just want to make sure... Everybody sees her. <laughs> Takes after her mama. She's not paying attention, so it don't matter. First Corinthians chapter number two. We're there. I can't have this long pause. I get in trouble with the long pause here. We'll start a new series this morning. And um, you say, how do you start these series? And um, most of you don't care. You don't really say that. I just say you say that. So I'm going to tell you. It's because God burdens me when I'm not in a particular book of the Bible. Because when I'm, when I'm in a book of the Bible, I know what comes next. But when I'm not in a book and we're kind of in between, uh, we're getting ready to launch into another book study, then I'm burdened about a particular truth. And when I get in, I'm going to preach a message on that truth. I say, well... I'm not going to get it in on Sunday morning. I'm not going to get it in on Sunday night or Wednesday. I'm not going to get it in in one shot. No, I would if you were kind and gracious and patient and would stay here all afternoon, but most are, don't have that kind of buy-in, so I've got to divide it up and, and uh, it turns into a series. And so this morning, and I think it, it's just right where God has us for this year in the matter of experiencing God, and I want us to be able to understand God has given us a Bible so that we can understand Him. And I want us to be able to understand the God who wants to be known. And so 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, let's stand. We'll look at one verse of Scripture here to be our text. First Corinthians 2 and verse number 9. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. You've heard me say before, God always has more in store. And he does. But I want to... 
give a title to this series, and so this morning the message will be the title of this series. Based upon this verse, based upon this book and the teaching that we find throughout it, we're going to look at just a little bit this morning. I want to take that statement, I want to bring clarity to it. Certainly God has more in store, but here's what I think God wants you to know. God has more in store for you. God has more in store for me. God has more in store now, right now. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven. You don't have to wait till you get your life all cleaned up. You don't have to wait for everything to come together. You can experience God now. So the title of the message in this series is God has more in store now. Thank you. Please be seated. I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. This is often used in a funeral service and is often applied to heaven. Now, I think one great misgiving about that is that's not what he's talking about. Can you apply it to heaven? Certainly. There's things that our eyes have not seen. There's things that we've not been able to comprehend about heaven. But he's not talking about heaven. How do you know? Well, context. What does the next verse say? But. There are things that your eye has not seen, nor your ear heard, neither has even entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him, but God hath revealed them to us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. In other words, he's saying it's not even entered into our hearts. We've not even begun to fathom all that God has and is up to and wants to do in your life and through your life right here, right now. Now, this verse is a quotation. It's an adaptation from Isaiah in chapter number 64 and verse number 4. And the immediate context of Isaiah 64 is that it relates to Israel. They're in captivity. They're awaiting God's deliverance. Remember the nation of Israel, like us, they sinned. And God allowed Babylon, the Babylonian people, to take His own people into captivity. Why is it that God will chasten his people is it well he's just punishing them you stepped out of line and and, and you're going to get time out you're going to get you're going to get hurt you're you're going you're going to really feel it because you didn't follow me no all of god's chastening in the old testament and the chastening as described in hebrews 12 everything god's doing in our life is not to punish us not if you're a child of god if you're not a child of god Punishment will be an eternity separated from God because you chose not to accept God's gift of love for you. But if you're a child of God, God's not punishing you. He took your punishment on the cross 2,000 years ago. Why is it that God is chastening and spanking and dealing with his people? Because he loves you. Because he's trying to get you back to the place where you can experience the so much more now that God has. 
And so that's the context of what was happening in Isaiah 64. God's dealing with His people to get their, their heart and mind to understand God has more in store for you now, not later, but now. And so Paul takes that and he applies it to the church. He, he tells us our future is secure with Jesus no matter the circumstances. If you're saved, uh, sometimes people call it once saved, always saved. Well, eternal security. Well, it is eternal. It is secure. You accept God's gift of salvation. You take that gift. Someone says, well, isn't that kind of boastful that you think that once saved, you're always saved? No, I think that that is bringing glory to the God who told us that because he's a great and powerful God. He doesn't lose his children. He doesn't leave his children. He doesn't abandon his people. And God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And so Paul brings that into the equation and he says, now God has some plans for you, some big plans for you. They're so wonderful your mind can't even comprehend it. I'm not talking about heaven, Paul is saying. I'm talking about here and now. And as a child of God, when you begin to understand that God has more in store now, you begin to see from this day until you get to heaven, it's glory all the way. And because of the great promises of like Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good to them that love God, every day is a good day. Every day is a good day. It may not look like a good day. How many walked outside, looked outside this morning and said, it doesn't look like a good day. Anybody, anybody do that? And there are some of you sitting there saying, no, I said it was a good day from the very beginning. I said it was a good day, but you didn't. You complained to somebody else about it. Even when we think it doesn't look like a good day, when we feel like it's not a good day, do you know that God is still working his great plan because he has more in store for you right now? And you can be certain of God's best, God's best for you. Yet, when we fail to trust him and obey him, when our love for him gets cold, then what happens is there begins to, even in the best of days, there becomes such a darkness, a coldness, because we were drifting away from the God that has more in store for us. I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. He's not talking about later. He's talking about now. He's talking about the fact that when God created you, he made you in his own image. Every person that God created, he has created with an un fathomable mine of gold, uh, of, of potential and power right in your very life because he made you in his own image. Every little child that comes to church is a marvelous package of spiritual potential for God to use. Every senior adult is a wonderful opportunity for God to do miraculous things through. Every mother, every father, every young person, every grandparent is a wonderful potential in which God wants to show you he has more in store for you right now. 
I hath not seen nor ear heard, nor has even entered into the heart of man that wonderful potential that God has for us if we would just be willing to let God do what He wants to do. Now, I'm not going to go through this chapter, but it's a, the chapter flows from chapter 1 into 2. It flows real well. In fact, in chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, and 28 and 29 actually, it's a great few verses if you ever struggle with low self-esteem. If you ever feel like that you're pretty insignificant, your struggles are too great, you're despised by or despised maybe in the crowd, you're just not one that, that God would ever select. This is a great few verses for you because it reminds us that you're the one that God's looking for. Amen. Remember when God chose David, little boy David, to replace King Saul? The, the father, David's own father, Jesse, and the preacher Samuel lined up David's brothers and he went through each one certainly thinking that these are the young men, these young men, would one of these be the one to replace King Saul? And God said, nope, 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 nope. When it comes to little David, even David's own father said, I wouldn't pick him. And God said, that's the man. I'm going to use. Why? Because God delights to use nobodies from nowhere with nothing. And so then you get to chapter 2 and he talks about where do you put your confidence. Remember when David stepped out and, and the king said, uh, David, if you're going to go up against Goliath, you better put on this armor and you better take this sword and shield. And this was, stuff was so heavy, David couldn't even, put, he put on the king's armor. He ran around it a couple times and said, this isn't going to work. And all these soldiers were equipped for battle. David just had a sling, went and picked up a few rocks. And, and even that great big Goliath, giant of a man, he said, what are you going to do? You're going to send out this dog out here against me? What are you going to do with those rocks? Well, it wasn't just David, but it was David's God. And the dependence in chapter 2 verses 1 through 5 is quite significant. He talks about the rulers in verse number 6, the rulers of the age. And then verse number 9 through 10, he talks about how he helps believers, God helps believers understand things they cannot learn through natural means. In other words, you just can't. Lost people can look at a situation and they'll never discern God because God doesn't work through natural means means God works through His powerful, personal Holy Spirit. And then we get to verse number 14 and 15, the person of the Spirit of God is emphasized. And in verse number 16, the mind of Christ um, is what he's emphasizing, that, that capacity to think after Jesus so that we will be able to live in that open mind, that treasure chest of living the so much more right now kind of life. Now, we often see certain acts like adultery, murder, immorality, all these kinds of sins as really being bad sins. I think sometimes we tend to overlook the seriousness of 
other sins that we're guilty of. I mean, we might be guilty of some of those things right here in this room. But the truth is, there's a particular sin that often is found attached to the base and the root of all the other sins that we look at as the bigger sins. That is the sin that robs us of seeing the potential that God wants to do in our life. Elton Trueblood, who's a Christian author, he said that making a life small when it could be great is sin and heresy. Making your life small for God when it could be and should be great for God That's the sin. That's the heresy by which all other sins will come out of. I believe a sin that we often overlook is the one that we're discussing this morning. If we want to experience what God has in store for us now, then we must understand the seriousness and the sin of failing to live up to your potential And so I want us to take a little bit of a journey here through the Bible. If you have your Bible, go to Genesis chapter number 3. Genesis chapter, and we'll turn this morning, and if you're unable to, to figure out where these places are, they'll have the verses on the screen. In Genesis chapter number 3, we often talk about the sin that took place in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. But what was the sin? God made them to control the earth, have dominion over the earth. God put them in a perfect environment with perfect fellowship with God. But I believe that the root sin of Adam and Eve was failing to live up to the potential that God gave them when he placed them in the Garden of Eden and he put them in that perfect environment. Can you imagine, the Bible teaches us that God walked with them personally in the Garden. They had a perfect fellowship with God, yet they disobeyed God. They tried to hide it and cover it up. They lost fellowship with God. They lost their relationship. Now notice in chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So Adam and Eve, they're made to have this special dominion, leadership, and authority. They had power uh, uh, to, given to them by God, yet they sinned against God. They disobeyed God. Rather than running to God, they ran from God. That perfect relationship with God became imperfect. Serenity was wasted by sweat. A life of discovery became a life of drudgery. A life of beauty was replaced by a life of ashes. Thorns and weeds displaced the flowers because of their sin. You see, Adam and Eve, they failed to be what God 
wanted them to be. And they lost the so much more that God had in store for them right then. The devil tried to get them to see God's keeping something from you. And God was simply telling Adam and Eve, no, I'm trying to get you and keep you in a place where you can experience the so much more. Take your Bible and go over to Numbers chapter 13. You just keep going to your right and Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and chapter 13. The nation of Israel here was given a wonderful promise by God. God's people, this place of Numbers 13, they've already come out of Egypt. Many, many years in Egypt. And they come across that Red Sea as a picture of salvation and deliverance. Well, God brought them out of Egypt to take them into another land. And it's the land of promise, the land of Canaan. Chapter 13, verse 1. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. See, God had given them a promise. Now, they came across the Red Sea to get to a place known as Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea is where they're they're left to make a decision, what are we going to do next? Well, what should they have done? Trust God, obey God, God has another land in store. Now, they're going to have to go across the Jordan River to get there. But in Numbers chapter 13, what happens is they send spies out to investigate. You know, I think people come to church a lot like the spies. They're coming to investigate whether or not this is all that it's cracked up to be. This is all that that I really want. What is it that I get out of this? And so these 12 spies, 10 were bad, 2 were good, as the song that the children sing would say it. And they went and they spied out the land. 10 spies came back and said, it's a good land. A lot of promises, a lot of potential, a lot of good stuff, but there's some giants. There's going to be problems. I don't know if I want that kind of religion because it's going to be hard. Let me me stop and remind you of this. You're already off to a bad start when you come to church with a Yelp and a Google mindset. I'm coming to church looking for What suits me? This is not a restaurant. This is not even a shopping center. Just because churches have catered to what people want should not be what we settle for. By the way, I can never give you what you want and be true to the God who's greater than you. Church is not here for what you want. It's here for what God says you need. Well, I just go somewhere else. You go somewhere else, and here's what you're going to find. You're going to find giants over there. You're going to find giants everywhere. And just because there are problems and difficulties and giants does not mean God wants you to hunker down in unbelief and pout and say, I'm just going to do what I want to do and do it my way. No, You either face your giants while focusing on God or you can be married to your giants and be overrun by them. 
And so God's people chose to listen to 10 spies, 10 critics who said, I don't think we could do this. So what did God's people do? They listened to the 10 critics instead of listening to God. And then they complained to the leadership that said, trust God and obey. Is that such a problem? What's so hard to trust God and obey? No, we all agree with it in theory. Trust and obey. We all agree in theory. But when Moses says, <clears throat> you need to take this discipleship course, they say, we ain't going to do it. But we're going to trust God and obey. Not if you're not following, you're not. Trust God and obey. We trust God and obey. Then why don't you go to this Bible fellowship class? I don't like that Bible fellowship class. So I'm leaving. So you don't really trust God and obey. See, trust God and obey as theory is not how you're going to experience the so much more that he has in store now. Trust God and obey, Moses says. Well, why don't you put your kids in this particular class? I don't like that class. My kids, they deserve better than that. Yeah, but we can't get them a new set of parents. And so why don't you just trust and obey? Some of you will get that later. <laughs> I'm saying we say it in theory. But theory is not how you experience the so much more that God has in store. And so God's people said, we'd like to go to another place. Do you know that they started talking about how wonderful Egypt was? I don't know if we've ever sang any songs about how wonderful Egypt was. But that's what they started to sing. Egypt was such a good place. Really? You were just praying to get out of that place. You were just saying, God led us here. Then you're saying, well, maybe we ought to go back there. What happens? You fail to realize the potential of what God has in store. There might be someone here this morning... You failed to live up to your potential as the child of God. You've sat in Kadesh Barnea for a long time. You're saved, you know it. But you've not crossed over that Jordan River to the, the happy side of life. The joyful side. Oh, it's a lot of fighting of giants over there. But it's a whole lot more fun fighting giants with God than fighting the giants without God. Next chapter, chapter 14, Moses reports to the people, God's not going to let you go in. And what do they do in chapter 14, starting out verse number 1? <clears throat> they sit down and cry about it. I mean, if I were Moses, I'd be saying, I'm kind of confused. You wanted to go, then you didn't want to go. Now you're crying because you can't go. And now you're going to blame Moses for it. What happened? They just failed to realize that God had more in store for them right now. Amen. Judges chapter 16. We go over to Judges. You may recognize the name Samson. Samson, perhaps the strongest man who ever lived. In Judges chapter 16, he was another one who failed to grasp. He failed to let it sink into his heart what God, had, God wanted to do with him, what God could do with him. 
He got blinded by his ability. He was marked by his birth to be a leader. He was a man of power. He was a man of wisdom. He's a man of energy. He was a man of leadership. And he had all the power and the wisdom to judge Israel like no man. But the Bible says in Judges chapter number 16, in fact, uh, uh, Samson, more than any other person, In the Old Testament, the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Because of the power of God upon Samson, the enemies of God, those who sacrificed little children to the pagan gods. And by the way, anytime in the Bible you see somebody sacrificing children, taking the lives of children, they were always pagan and the enemies of God. Well, nothing's changed today either, has it? Those who were demon-possessed, those Philistine nations, they could not conquer the people of God, just as the choir sang about, nothing ever can, nothing ever will overcome the Lord our God because Samson was a man whom God used and as long as the Spirit of God was upon him, The enemies of God could not touch the people of God until. Notice Judges 16 and verse number 18. And the Bible says, And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he hath showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand, and she made him sleep upon her knees, and she called for a man, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. She began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself and he wist not that the Lord was departed from him perhaps the saddest phrase I've said in all the Bible any man that has not the spirit of God has no real power Samson we're told in the very next verse he's taken by the Philistines and they put him as an animal. They hook him up to this this meal. And here he is treading out like an animal, like a a donkey that's hooked up and, and doing the work of a donkey. And not only do they bind him, but they take out his eyes. Because of his sin and failing to see the great potential that God had in store for him. He's bound. He's blinded. He failed to live up to his potential. He lost his anointing. Psalm 137. You don't need to turn this one. I've got this one down. But I'll just mention this briefly. You go throughout the psalm. The book of Psalms is a a song book of God's people. And they're singing praises to God for His goodness, His greatness, His deliverance, His mighty acts, His wonderful works. But they get to Psalm 137 and it's a story of when they were taken captive by the Babylonians. And they're no longer singing praises to God. Why? Why? 
Because they failed to live up to their calling to be the nation that God wanted them to be. Israel failed. They failed to realize that God has more in store now. And they forfeited. And as a result, they lost. They lost. They became indifferent. They became cold. And then the, the, the Babylonians in captivity, they kind of taught them. They say, uh, how come you're not singing the song of the Lord now? You've been a singing people. You're always praising your God. What about now? They said, we can't sing the song of the Lord in a strange land. I want to tell you the truth is you can sing the song of the Lord anywhere. But what they're, what they're saying is, <clears throat> it's hard to sing. Brother Mooney mentioned blessed assurance this morning. It's hard to sing that. It's hard to sing, my Jesus, I love thee, when your heart is cold. The problem with some of you is you won't miss church, but you've missed God every time you've come to church. Because your heart's cold. You've gotten calloused. You have no problem taking shots, pop shots, at those who are designed and have been designated to help you when you've gone to them or have spoken truth into your life, trying to get you to see God has more in store for you now. And your attitude reflects, I can't sing about God's goodness now. No, you could. It's just, it ain't feeling good right now. And it never feels good when you're far from God. Amen. Matthew 25, turn over to there. Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. Matthew 25. Matthew 25, we see Jesus telling the story of the parable, the talents. Now this is a very telling tale. Because each servant, and there's three in this passage, each servant in this parable by Jesus was given money. A talent, a talent was worth about 20 years wages according to his ability. And so the Bible's telling us here that the Lord Jesus is communicating a message. And notice in verse number 14, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. Unto one he gave five talents. To another, what's the word? Two. And to Another, what is it? So you have three servants. One received five talents, the other one received two, and the third received one talent. To every man, that's how he gave these talents. To every man according to his several ability, and straightway this uh, man, the Lord, the owner, the, the boss, he then took his journey. And so these three servants fall into two categories, Jesus says. One is called faithful, the other is called unfaithful. The faithful servants, they took their talents and they put them to work for the Lord. They invested them. 
The unfaithful servant hid his talent in the earth. Now, who are the faithful ones? Well, the Bible tells us it's the one who had five talents, the one who had two talents, and they took and they invested those talents and they multiplied those. But the unfaithful servant, I only have this one, that's all I have, hid his talent in the earth. Instead of using his one opportunity, he buried it. He did not purpose to do evil, but rather by doing nothing, he was committing sin and he robbed his Lord of his service and his increase. Matthew 25 verse 21 and verse 23, we find that the two men, faithful men, who put their money to work, they each receive accommodation from their master. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now, keep in mind, it's not the portion that they received that made the difference. It was the proportion. And what God's trying to get us to see is that if you take the few things that you have and you're faithful over the few, and God says, I know I can give you something more. Hey, do you know that God has more in store for you right now? But it hinges upon your faithfulness or unfaithfulness. The unfaithful steward, this man was afraid he might fail. He was afraid that if he tried, he may not succeed. So he was fearful in life. He was paralyzed in his responsibilities. This paralyzed man with anxiety, he took his talent and he buried it. How many of God's people have I met who said, well, I really can't do much preach. I can't sing. I can't preach. I can't teach. I can't, I can't do anything. And so you bury that great potential that God has. The least he could have done was put it in the bank and collect some interest for his Lord. But instead he lost it. Do you know that we too are in danger of losing Whatever talents God has loaned to us, if we don't use it. The master reprimanded the unfaithful, unprofitable servant. And what did the master do? Took his talent away from him. The man with the most talents received an extra talent. See, in our way of thinking in America, we take from those who have and we give to those who have not. But you know, in God's economy, God takes from those who do not produce. And God gives to those who do produce. And isn't that what Paul told Timothy? If a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. Pretty simple. So God is saying, however, in in serving him, he's got so much more in store for you now. But if you decide you're not interested in serving God, you might lose that opportunity. There's no greater investment in all the world than investing in God's program. So let me review 
Adam and Eve, they failed to live up to their potential. They lost fellowship with God. Children of Israel, they failed to see God's great potential through them. They lost their dream that every Jew had of going into the promised land. They lost it because they failed to recognize and they failed to act on that God has more in store right now. Rather than trusting and obeying, they decided... Egypt's not too bad after all, but rather than go back to Egypt, we'll just stay put and wander in a wilderness for 40 long, stinking, unbelieving years. There's a principle in the Word of God over and over and over, and that is God wants to use you more than you want to be used by God. God wants to bless you more than you want to be blessed by God. I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man all that God has prepared for those that love him. God has wonderful things in your life. Some of you may not be living up to your potential. There are some this morning, maybe you're, you're looking at a strained marriage relationship and God has more in store for that marriage relationship. You don't have to settle with just uh, cohabiting together. You can realize that God has fire for that marriage. God has something that will make that marriage heavenly. God has more in store for you right now. Some of you maybe are struggling with children in the home and, and, and just because of weariness, you're, you're, you're not setting the course. You're letting the kids determine the direction they want to go. Let me remind you, God gives them to you to train up a child in the way he should go, not the way he wants to go. You train up the child in the way he should go, knowing this, God has more in store for your children right now. There may be some who are in church, but you're just not all into Jesus like you should be. He is your weekend fling, but you're not experiencing the so much more that God has in store for you. You're burying your talent. Now, I'm thankful that there's a road that leads back to God, but you're going to have to get sick and tired of making mud pies and playing with the devil's dirt hill and get back to the hill called Calvary and there get right with the God who loves you, the blood that was shed for you, and figure out that you don't have to wait to get to heaven to realize how much he had in store for you. I want to say this, that God has a process. God has always had a process by which he uses his people and blesses them. See, the law of process simply means that God develops his children daily. Not in a day. See, in our happy, clappy mindset of church, we just like this. We're going to go to meeting. We're going to go to a meeting and God's going to do it in one day so I don't have to meet with him for another few weeks. But God doesn't work that way. He does it daily. If you wake up in the morning, still have breath in your bodies, I guarantee you God will still be alive. You know why he'll be alive? Because he's God and he's always working and has more in store for his people today. And so because of that, there's a process involved. What is the process? Well, in order for God to bless a person and unlock the treasure chest of the so much more now, there are three things that God gives to his people. Number one, it's a plan. 
Number two, it's power. Or excuse me, uh, number two is a promise and number three, it's power. Number one, it's a plan. Number two, it's a promise. And number three, it's power. Number one, it's a what? Plan. Number two, it's a? Number three. What about Abraham? What was Abraham's plan? Here is the plan. God says, I'm going to use you, Abraham. You're going to be the father of a great nation. You count the sands on the seashore, you'll never come up with a number. And that is only the beginning of what I'm going to do through you in bringing about seed. What was the promise? Well, the promise is I'm going to multiply that seed and make them as the stars of the heaven, as the sands of the earth. What was the power? Abraham was 100 years of age. His wife was 90. And they're going to have a child. It's going to take more than some scientists in a laboratory somewhere to get that one figured out. In fact, I'm not sure if they could do it today when they're trying to figure out how in the world a man could have a baby. We are proving evolution is not true. We have demonstrated it more in the last two years that evolution is not at work. The only thing that is evolving is the stupidity that comes from the sinfulness of man. It's going to take God's power to bring about a baby through a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman. But that's what God did. How about the man called Moses? We've mentioned him. He had a plan. That is, God had a plan for him. God said, you're going to be the deliverer. I'm going to deliver the people of Israel out of the, the hand of the mightiest emperor on the face of the world. His name was Pharaoh. That's the plan. What was the promise? God said, I'm going to be with you. And so what was the power? The power was God. He sent plague upon plague upon plague upon Egypt. And then the deliverance of God's people through the Red Sea, drying it up. And God worked miracle after miracle after miracle in the lives of his people. How about David? David was there a plan? Well, God said, David, the plan is to use you to deliver the people of Israel by bringing down the great giant. What was the promise? God said to David, just as I use you to slay the lion and the bear, I'm going to use you to slay the giant. What was the power? David, as I mentioned, he went to put on the, the king's armor, but instead he said, I'm going to stick with the power of God. And that stone found its mark in the head of Goliath and toppled the giant, and God gave the mighty victory. How about the early church? What was God's plan? For the early church to disciple all the nations of the earth. What was the promise? Jesus said, I will build my church. Jesus said, I am with you always. What was the power? Jesus said to his disciples, you tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And in Acts chapter 1, we find 120 in the upper room for 10 days praying. They weren't dancing. They weren't texting. They were praying. And God says, I see the plan. You bought into the promise and the power of the Holy Spirit showed up. But there's a problem. The problem is many times when we circumvent the process. We think of God's program like we think of microwaving our food. We are so lazy and so impatient. We don't even want to hit five minutes 
So instead, we just hit 444 so we don't have to move our fingers any further. And we don't mind coming to an altar and praying. We're just telling God when we like it and how we like it and how He ought to do this if He knows what's good for you. We circumvent the process. Many want God to give them power before they're willing to step out on the promise and the plan. The reason people don't experience the so much more that God has in store and experience the full potential is that they can't fulfill their potential without the power of God. They can't have the power of God unless they're willing to accept the plan of God and willing to believe the promises of God. How? Trusting and obeying day by day. I want to ask you this morning, are you living up to your potential? Are you experiencing everything that God has for you? If not, you can. You don't have to let the sun go down and you don't have to let the clock strike midnight and say, another one down. Instead, you can say, God, thank you for still being God. And the fact that God loves you and that he's alive and that he has more in store for you now ought to excite you more than anything else that would discourage you. Let's stand together, please.